0: doctor RJ Rushduni rr one hundred sixty one AL sixty nine Colloquy on Education from the Easy Chair Excellent Colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is RJ Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 175, July the eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Tonight Otto and Of myself have with us uh, Gary Mose to help us with the interviewing and one of our staff members, Sam Blumenfeld. Sam Blumenfeld has been traveling back and forth across the United States speaking on Christian education, homeschooling, and uh, formal uh, Christian schools. If he hasn't been to your neighborhood, just wait, he'll be there. I think he's covered more communities in the United States in recent years than almost any other man living. As a matter of fact, I continually get letters from you saying that uh, you heard Sam Blumenfeld speak in your community, and he was wonderful welcome sam it's good to have you with us tonight it's nice to be with you rush what's happening on the homeschooling front right now
2: well you know since uh, i was last uh, with you uh, it's about two years a great deal has happened the, the homeschooling movement has grown leaps and bounds as a matter of fact uh, only uh, a couple of weeks ago i believe in in southern california the the uh, California Homeschool Association had its convention, and 15,000 people showed up. Mm -hmm. That was at the Disneyland Hotel. So if that's a sign of the times, it's a very good sign that parents are finally doing what they've had to do all these years, and that is remove their children from the uh, public schools, Mm -hmm. from humanist education, and uh, they're deciding to educate their children at home. Some of these children do come out of Christian schools also, but uh, I believe that that's not uh, all bad because uh, uh, the homeschool movement and the Christian schools are going to have to collaborate and work together in this area. Well, uh, this
1: uh, noon I had a telephone call from John Lofton And he was telling me that uh, we are being the subject of some uh, verbal criticism in the media. And uh, one or two of the statements at least uh, referred to the fact that in the 50s an aesthetic uh, Catholicism was uh, made popular by Buckley and Kirk. Then, born-again Christianity, fundamentalistic and Arminian, dispensational, premill, came in with the 70s. And now, a very dangerous group known as the Christian Reconstructionists have uh, arrived on the scene, and we were mentioned by name. And it, well, may be because of what we're doing, uh that the great issue of the next decade will be the public schools fight for survival
2: oh yes absolutely as a matter of fact uh, rush the title of my talk my lecture that i've been giving for the last year or so is are the public schools harming your children
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i proved to the uh, audience beyond a shadow of a doubt that the children are at risk in four significant ways they're at risk academically because of the methodology used in the schools, the method of teaching reading, which produces functional literacy. Uh, They're at risk spiritually because the public schools are doing everything in their power to destroy the Christian faith of children through such programs as values, clarification, and sensitivity training and situational ethics and multiculturalism and globalism and sex education and evolution and death education. Then the children are at risk morally uh, because of the, the kind of peer interaction. Who do you, uh, who does the child meet in the public schools but the drug pushers and the drug users and the sexually active, uh, the blasphemers, the users of foul language? That certainly is not a very good atmosphere for a youngster to be brought up in. And then, of course, there's also the physical danger because public schools have become dangerous places. Kids are coming yeah. to school with guns and knives and chains and... Children are being assaulted and robbed and even murdered. Teachers are being murdered. Uh, principals are being murdered. So uh, the public school is a very dangerous place for a child. And when I get through with my talk, generally the parents decide to remove their children from the public schools. They realize that the risks are much too great. The children are uh, they're precious enough that they really love them. They're not going to subject them to the, those uh, horrible risks. Well, we have
1: one of the real pioneers of the battle against the public schools with us, Otto Scott, who still has, isn't it true, Otto, the all-time record for truancy in New York City?
0: (laughs) As far as I know, yes. It was the seven months of successful truancy. (laughs) Uh, Because I had two report cards, one real and one false. I presented my dad, the false one. I went in the room every night to do my homework, and I read books, trashy books, and I wrote letters saying I was ill, and some teacher finally became concerned and came over to see us, and that, of course, exposed me. (laughs) Incidentally, they almost sent me away until I was 21 for that, and I was saved by Justice Levy of the Children's Court in those days. And he said to the man who made the recommendation, if you make another recommendation of this sort, I will see to it that you lose your job. Mm. And he and I corresponded for several years after that. He was a very interesting man. But in bringing the thing up to date, and, and of course the reason that I played hooky in New York City schools, it was the only long period of public schools that I had outside of the little school up in... in in my grandparents village. And I couldn't stand the bells and the different classrooms running between the classrooms and the, the fellows with mustaches playing handball in the courtyard who were blocked in the sixth yeah. grade for four years
2: running and all that.
0: And uh, the teacher had a chart with our names on it and you, if you put your hand up she'd look at the chart to see who you were, all that. And I wasn't learning anything. And, uh, I, I had the instincts of a scholar. Now, more recently, I've begun to do some reading, uh, not so much in educational subjects because they've never really interested me. I'm not too fond of young people. And I would never be a good teacher. I'm sure I'd be a terrible teacher because I I don't learn anything when I'm talking anyway. But I have recently remembered Spengler, who said that modern education is poorly based. It is an attempt to pour new wine into old bottles. Mm -hmm. It teaches, for instance, algebra and geometry, trigonometry and physics to people who are not going into any of the engineering sciences and who have absolutely no need for this particu- these particular subjects. They may be totally alien to them, to their instincts, to their potential, to their talent. There's no reason to teach them across the board to a modern audience because we're no longer operating a technology based on measurements. And how to figure out a Nascosalese triangle is a very esoteric thing for anyone who isn't an engineer. And in similar manner, we have stopped looking at the fundaments of what constitutes an education. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this, somewhere down the line, is going to have to be addressed because even the Christian school movement and the homeschool movement is under tremendous pressure to fit, more or less, into the framework uh, set up by the official indicators. Okay. And uh, we know that the SAT tests and all the rest of it are based upon postulants upon premises that have not been examined for seven, 800 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, the, the remarkable thing that is going on in the homeschooling movement, uh, Otto and Russia's is that there is this examination going on as to what to teach, what is important. Of course, they're concerned about keeping the state off their backs, mm-hmm. and everyone you, realizes you've got to impart literacy, you've got to teach the basics, the mm-hmm. basic tools of learning, but apart from that, there is a good deal of discussion going on in what constitutes true education. Uh, for, for the last day, I've, I was never good at math. Mm-hmm. I never no. cared for it. Neither did I. But for the last day, I've been reading a marvelous manuscript on the relationship of mathematics to religion.
1: By James Nick. Right
2: as as a as a manifestation as a means of understanding god's word by seeing the patterns in nature uh, it's, and 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 what mathematics if you study mathematics under that kind of a, uh, a view a point of view that is from a godly point of view suddenly mathematics makes sense because it enables you to see so many invisible things in nature things that are not visible to the eye but which uh, you see patterns, uh, and and that's a remarkable uh, insight that this particular manuscript uh, gave me. Just reading that, so I suddenly the interest, my interest in mathematics uh, was quickened. Mm-hmm. And I thought, my if I had been taught mathematics this way from the very beginning, from a God-centered point of view as a means of knowing God's world, God's creation, I would have taken to it. Of course you would, because it's poetic.
0: But, don't, the way education has been fixed for a long time has been that science is facts, religion is fiction, science is objective, art, music, uh, religion is subjective, and what is subjective cannot be evaluated. Cannot be measured, cannot be weighed, cannot be proven, and therefore is unscientific and an embarrassment. And only technology
1: is valid. Let me just interject that we are going to publish this manuscript by James Nickel on God and mathematics. Gary, you have a very practical involvement in Christian education, both through the, our Christian school and the fact that Graham is being homeschooled for high school.
3: Uh, Any comments or
1: observations?
3: Well, I have uh, something I'd like to explore with Sam uh, along this line. You you mentioned at the beginning of our discussion that uh, there's going to have to be cooperation between Christian schools and homeschools. Um, I am a co-founder of a Christian school, and as uh, Russ just mentioned, uh, my wife and I, are homeschooling one of our children. I have homeschooled two other ones in the past. And I'm starting to get reports just in uh, recent months about tensions developing between Christian schools and homeschooling families, particularly in churches which have started Christian schools in recent years and are now experiencing a number of their families pulling out of the Christian schools and homeschooling. Uh, In what ways do you think that... uh, Christian schools and families in homeschools can cooperate, some practical ways in which they could cooperate.
2: Well, in the first place, the Christian school can act as an, uh, an umbrella, in other words, to provide some legal protection for the homeschoolers as uh, simply having them enrolled. That's one, that's one practical thing they can do. Also, Christian schools can offer certain extracurricular activities, a music, a band, uh, and uh, the kind of activities that require group, act, uh, you know, group support, uh, and some homeschoolers don't feel particularly um, uh, able to teach highly technical subjects, chemistry labs, and that sort of thing. But also, another important thing that the Christian school should realize is that. Uh, Uh, while some families homeschool their children, you know, K through 12, if you want to use those numbers, uh, there are many homeschoolers who reach a point where they do want to put the child in a formal atmosphere. And if the, if the, if the Christian school has been friendly to the family, they're more likely to go to that school than one that has been hostile. So it's in the interest of the Christian school to befriend the homeschoolers in the interest of someday getting some of those children back, uh, just uh, from an economic point of view. But they have to collaborate because we're all part of the same movement, you see. It, it's uh, it's the, the same battle against uh, secular humanist education. We're just doing it different ways. And remember, the Bible has given parents the responsibility for educating their children. As a matter of fact, the Bible commands parents to educate their children. So the parent has the first responsibility. If that parent wants to delegate their responsibility to a Christian school, fine. But if that parent wants to do it themselves, those parents want to do it themselves, they certainly um, uh, should be supported by the Christian community.
0: Isn't there a point, Sam, where uh, parents are beginning to run into a sort of a dead end when you get through high school, for instance? (coughs) Then what? You don't want to send the child to a seminary, which is a continuation of a Christian education, or a Bible school. And there aren't very many colleges as so far as I know. Well, of course, there are Catholic colleges, and I, I don't know whether there are any Protestant colleges left
1: at all. Uh, well, there are a large number of Protestant colleges, but the question is how many of them are worth much. Mm. So many have departed from the faith. And increasingly, both Catholic and Protestant colleges are so enamored of accreditation that they're ready to sell their soul to the devil. I think perhaps one area of great potential for the future is the kind of thing that Valley Christian was doing because here was largely a correspondence program with some on-campus, Uh, instruction and examination regularly and it was enabling a great many people particularly older ones who were going back and trying to do their educating uh, without surrendering their jobs and, uh, and taking care of their families at the same time and the results were exceptionally good the graduates were a distinguished group until the state intervened there Now, I think something like that may well develop within the next generation. The modern university is making itself obsolete. It has become increasingly power-oriented. The number of departments, uh, the endless division to create new power centers... So that you no longer are being trained in a department in terms of an actual vocation. You're being trained in terms of faculty's idea of courses that will build up its prestige and give it more power on campus by having more students.
0: Yes, if you choose a major, I understand. Yes. If you choose a major, then they give you certain mandatory courses that you have to take, which are often very far afield Mm -hmm. from your major, and uh, that means that at least half your time is spent in courses that you don't intend to pursue, uh, have no particular interest in.
2: Well, you know, I believe that the, the university today has merely become a credentialing uh, system. In other words, you go there to get a diploma. Uh, which, which is a union card. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> to, be, you <laughs> to become a lawyer or right. a doctor. That's all it is. You've got to go through it to get these pieces of paper that provide you with access mm-hmm. to certain professions. Otherwise, you're, you're left out. You can't even be interviewed in the average corporation without a degree. Exactly. I know brilliant people who would make wonderful lawyers, but they can't practice law because they don't have that that sheepskin, and so
1: interesting the jailhouse lawyers are among the best in the country
0: (laughs) well you know you used to be able to go to law school for two years Mm -hmm. and uh, if you passed the bar examination that was it but now they insist on four years of college first and then
1: two years yes except in California in California you can simply Prepare on your own and take the bar examination. There's a
0: problem. Only about 15 to 20 percent of the applicants for the bar examination ever pass for reasons that are quite mysterious. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, one of the more prominent corporation lawyers in this state who recently retired passed the bar examination that way.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, Rush, I'm often asked by parents, as a matter of fact, Uh, if I can recommend a decent college for their youngsters and I generally tell them that you know that Hillsdale is not bad it's pretty good has a good reputation Uh, then there's Grove City Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they want a very uh, strong traditionalist religious uh, education there's Bob Jones University which is really when you go down there it's almost like going back to the 50s Mm -hmm. the girls wear skirts the boys wear pants and ties and shirts and everything is done by the numbers, but it's a, a, quite a, uh, a different atmosphere. So there are some uh, colleges and universities, and I feel though that, uh, and particularly the military schools, the, the academies, mm. uh, we've had homeschoolers who have gotten scholarships to Annapolis mm. uh, and uh, become officers in, 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 in the military. So it isn't entirely hopeless. Oh, no. But I think it's a subject that's going to have to...
0: It's becoming increasingly important. Yes. Yes. As as the Christian and home school move, graduates increase, we're now getting into the business of adult schooling. Yes, yes. That's the next
1: big uh,
0: breakthrough.
1: Well, at the beginning of the 70s, everybody was wondering what they were going to do for Christian high schools. Now, they have exceptionally fine home school materials, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Christian schools have moved into that area. As a matter of fact, you can get video cassettes to teach your uh, high school student at home, which will give you better material in, say, chemistry or physics than you can get in almost any school in the country. So the homeschoolers have suddenly forged ahead in that area uh, because of the modern technology. Well, of yeah. course,
0: the thing about a homeschool or a small Christian school is that you can't hide. And in public school, there's a great
2: deal of, yeah. in effect, working anonymity. Yes. Yeah. Well... Well, I I simply wanted to second that, that the point about technology in the home, that the the home now has access to computers and video machines, VHS and, and, and cassettes. And as you know, Otto, education is, uh, the the educated people are self-taught. Oh, well, you have to be, yes. And it depends 95% on reading. Oh, 95% comes out of reading, and the the 5% is experience. So books are available, tapes are available, lectures are available. Uh, So much can be done at home. You know, rather than sitting in a lecture hall listening to some professor put you to sleep, I mean, that's not my idea of
3: education That was clearly the case with our uh, son who just completed his junior year of high school as a homeschooler. Um, he's gone all the way through his junior high almost all the way through junior high and all the way through high school as a homeschooler and in the early years my wife worked uh, very intensely with him as a as a monitor and a, and a teacher yes. and his past year as a junior he has worked almost entirely. Mm-hmm on an individual basis. Uh, reading individual research, he, he's working on a much more intensive level than I ever did all the way through college. Um, he he dreams up his own uh, research activities and he follows through on that and, uh, and he's just completed his college entrance test first round and, uh, and came out uh, in the 99th percentile. So. From my own experience, I can vouch for the fact that it's possible for uh, a homeschooler to achieve very
1: highly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the great advantages of the homeschool and the Christian school is the lack of money. Oh, yeah. Because some years ago, almost 20 years ago, a man in the sciences told me that the curse of the public schools was the money they had to spend. So that, for example, in the sciences they had laboratories and they had uh, microscopes, they had uh, experiments to do and so on, or uh, so-called experiments, really repeating the experiment of someone generations ago. And he said all that was a waste of time and money, that if uh, some experiment needed to be demonstrated to the students, the teacher could do it. But the time could be better spent and more cheaply. So he said the money the public schools have was a major hindrance to science education. And a Christian school and the home school, not having money to spend on all that paraphernalia, can concentrate on learning, not playing games with uh, microscopes and test tubes and the like. And watching films, I'm told,
2: takes up an awful lot of public school yes. time. Watching movies. Sitting yes. in the dark in the classrooms watching movies. Watching movies. Puts you to sleep. But you're, you're right about the business of the money uh, uh, doing so much damage to education. As a matter of fact, uh, in Boston, we've had this so called uh, a compact between. Large universities and the public schools and uh, MIT was engaged in, in trying to help uh, create a, a technical high school and invested it in, uh, and, and this high school got a tremendous amount of free computers. They had a marvelous computer room which hasn't been used for the last three years because the, they can't find the software or... Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, they get all this marvelous equipment. They don't know what to do with it. They don't even know how to use it, you see. And so MIT has bowed out. They've just... They've thrown up their hands with disgust. In disgust, that we can't even deal with these
0: people. Well, you do run into people who have excellent schooling. I do. And uh, they, they're quite thrown when you tell them something the school hadn't prepared them to hear. I had a fellow working on a magazine who came from England, and I said, I want you to go out and interview, pick out five or six men in some industry or another, and ask them about uh, this particular set of developments, which I had just happened to notice. So he went out, and he came back about three or four hours later, and, and uh, I said, who where, did where you talk to? He said, well, I went to the library. I said, the library? I said, the library is a cemetery of information. And I said, everything in the library is 15 years old. I I wanted you to talk to people in the business. And he was quite offended. He said, well, I was never told before that it was a waste of time to go to a library. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I said, you haven't been a reporter. Yes. Well, that's an entirely different thing, but that's one that uh, I remember. Uh, I know a homeschooling family in... Uh, in New Orleans, and their son is very much interested in astronomy, and he wanted to meet the professor who had uh, discovered one of the planets. And this professor happened to be living, I believe, in Arizona or New Mexico, and so the family took this trip across country and uh, stopped off at this professor's home and actually visited with the man who had discovered the planet. The professor was delighted to see this young man because he had been long forgotten by his colleagues. You know, he was in retirement and all of that. But that's the kind of thing that you can do in homeschooling, and that's the kind of thing that homeschooling encourages, this independent search for knowledge instead of being a passive recipient of some professor or some teacher. Drinking in so so stale pool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's about it.
1: Well, don't encourage too much of that. Uh, One of the things that uh, I detest is having letters and phone calls from all over the country, (laughs) from students in uh, colleges and universities and sometimes Christian schools who want me to outline and sometimes send them about ten pages on a project they're working on. They want you to do their work. Yes, yes. I, I get know letters like that, too. I had one uh, young woman from the University of Colorado call me and tell me she wanted to do a paper on my uh, ideas on education. And she hadn't read my three books on the subject, but she wanted me to send her an outline of about ten pages. And when I said no, she... Uh, told me what she thought of me, how unchristian I was, and banged the receiver uh, down. Oh, my. Now, that's the kind of thing uh, that is taking place. They're parasites.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's you're perfectly right, I get letters like that from Mm -hmm. people who who want you to do their work for them, and uh, they've got to realize that they have to do the work themselves.
1: The fun isn't
2: doing the work.
1: Yes. And these people today want things handed to them and uh, feel there's something wrong with you if you don't.
2: And they usually come out of the public schools. Oh, yes. You know, they're the ones who have been uh, preparing all of these outlines, you see, or getting, being told that uh, they should have somebody else do it for them. I've encountered instances of public
1: school teachers who encourage people to write uh, for data from an organization which will tell them everything they want to know. Now as we continue, Sam, I'd like to call attention to something that our oldest daughter, Rebecca, told us just a few weeks ago when she was here with her husband and children visiting. She said that uh, the local grade school had a principal who made no bones about the fact that uh, she was hoping the school would continue to drift downward in its academic uh, performance because then they would qualify for all kinds of special federal and state funds for uh, schools that were dealing with uh, children who were not performing, and so on. So it would appear that our uh, public schools reward a lack of performance rather than performance.
2: That's true, uh, Rush, because uh, the federal funding goes to the, the schools that fail. The more failure you have, the more money you get. So there's a built-in economic incentive now for failure in the public schools, and that's one of the reasons why they're not interested in uh, in methods that work. That's one of the reasons why you can't get systematic intensive phonics in the first grade of, of, of the schools because they don't want the kids uh, to be able to read well. As a matter of fact, I've heard from teachers uh, who have used phonics, intensive phonics, in their classrooms who were accused by the other teachers as trying to undermine the school's financial base by threatening jobs, you know, special education jobs, by producing kids who can read, you see. As a matter of fact, Rush, we now have a whole industry, a whole profession devoted to taking care of failures. It's called special education. And the largest segment of children in special ed these days are not, uh, are not the deaf kids or the blind kids, but the so-called learning disabled. These are children who become functionally illiterate in the first grade because of the, the look-say, whole-word method that produces the symptoms of dyslexia. And we've known this since 1929 when Dr. Samuel T. Orton uh, wrote an article in the uh, Journal of Educational Psychology in which he, he warned the professors that this sight-word method of teaching reading would produce learn, uh, reading disability. And of course, they... They didn't care what he said. They just went on their merry way.
0: Two years ago, I was uh, two days ago rather, and we were at that picnic. Yeah, yes, the uh, eating
2: Barbecue right. in San Jose.
0: I was asked by a young woman if there was any other way to teach a child to read excepting through phonics, and I said I didn't know, but I suggested she ask you. Mm-hmm. Did she get to you?
2: Uh, I don't believe she did, but uh, that's the only way you can teach uh, a child to read an alphabetic writing system. Uh, Ours is an alphabetic writing system, and an alphabet, as you know, is a set of letters that stand for the irreducible speech sounds of the language, and for generations uh, it was taught in a very simple mechanical way. You would teach the child first to recognize the letters of the alphabet, then you would drill the child in the sounds that the letters uh, stood for. And the purpose of the drill was to make sure that the child developed an automatic association between letter and sound, so that when the child uh, saw the sound, he would hear the letter. He would uh, saw the letter, he would hear the sounds. Uh, and uh, then you would, once you've achieved, once you achieve that, then the child would be given words and sentences and little stories to read. So that's a, a three uh, a three-part system, three stages. Now, the look-say method teaches the child to recognize the letters, but then skips step two, does not teach the letter sounds, and goes directly to whole words and teaches the child to, to look at these words as little pictures, as little ideographs, to be memorized as a sight vocabulary. And it is that, uh, tri- that, that attempt to memorize sight vocabulary, to deal with words as wholes. That produce the uh, the symptoms of dyslexia, because the child is asked to look at an English word as a little picture. Well, as you know, Otto, when you look at a picture, you don't necessarily look at it from left to right or from right to left. You look at it any way you want to. Okay. And so these child develop these terrible habits of looking words at, at, in all sorts of ways, including upside down. And uh, and so these child wind up guessing what these words are, and developing all these horrible habits of looking at words and, uh, uh, you know, uh, mixing up letters and reversing letters and all of that. And these are considered the symptoms of dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Now, some get through,
1: apparently. They get high marks. And They tend to learn uh, the phonics system on their own or with help from their parents. I see. Yes. There's a lot of that going on. It's Uh bootlegged education.
0: Bootlegged, black market education. That's right, that's right. You know,
1: uh, an interesting thought here. Since state education rewards incompetence, puts more money in a school, the worse it is. What if the church has operated that way?
0: Turn and, out sinners?
1: Yes. The more sinners they turned out and the more people they sent to hell, the uh, greater the prestige of the church and of the pastor. Well,
0: do you think that's not happening? <laughs> Haven't you read yes. about the homosexual denomination?
1: Yes. Um, and some of our major mainline churches with their modernism, they're rewarding the same kind of thing. Of course, it's not with our
3: tax money, at least. Yes.
2: But there is such a thing as a church of Satan. You know, yep. I've seen it on television. So. I have seen it on television.
3: The argument continues to be made uh, by some Christians that uh, if Christians continue to pull out of the public schools, we can only expect them to get worse. The idea is that uh, Christians are to be salt and light in, in every yes. institution, every part of society. and. And to some extent, we make that argument in Christian Reconstruction. Uh, Christians ought not to be pulling out of various spheres because that just leaves the field to the, the devil. What's your uh, response to that?
2: Well, my response to that is that the secular public school was created to get God out of education. That was its primary purpose. That's why the government got involved in, in creating uh, or in supporting a secular public education uh, if you study the history of, of how the government got involved in the education business um, you will find that the movement the public school movement was spurred by the Unitarians who no longer believed in the divinity of Christ who no longer believed in the efficacy of salvation through Christ they believed that the school the secular school was to be the new vehicle of salvation and then the the, uh, the Unitarians were then joined by the Owenite socialists, who were atheists. They were in turn joined by the Hegelians, who had their pantheistic view of things, and finally they were joined by Orthodox Christians, Protestants, who were frightened of the Catholic influx in this country and thought that perhaps they by joining the others in a public school movement that they could maintain the Protestant character of American culture in the face of massive Catholic uh, immigration. Now, the Catholics saw through all of this, uh, bolted the system, and created their own parochial school system, because they didn't want their children to be uh, either uh, uh, proselytized into Protestantism or turned into infidels. Uh, and that's that's why we have the system that we have today. So the public school system will never, can never, serve the educational and spiritual needs of Christian children.
3: Is it redeemable? <clears throat> no,
2: absolutely not. No, uh, don't forget it... that
0: he started off with the dangers of public schools today. Right. Now, one of the things that got me in trouble as a boy was the nature of the public school in... New York City, I was uh, sent to what they call a junior high school. You go from the sixth grade to junior high school. Right. And, uh, the uh, sixth grade was up in Washington Heights at the time, when there was no apartment buildings up there, just one or two. We had new apartments. It was rather mm-hmm. fancy in those days. And then I was sent to this very crowded 186, which was a junior high, or which went into junior high. And where I had never played hooky excepting occasionally before. It turned me into a total and incorrigible truant. And it led to a whole series of difficulties that I got into as a boy. That particular public school experiment. And not only at that time, but since, I have heard liberals say, well, the public school is a democratic experience. And you learn to live with other races and other groups. Well, I don't know how you can escape other races and other groups in the United States in the first place. Mm -hmm. Or in life, it's going to happen to you as soon as you leave home anyway, even if you are born and raised in an ivory tower. But in the meantime, I venture to believe that more kids have been destroyed by the public school system than any other single institution.
2: Oh, you're absolutely correct. I just wanted to mention one other thing. You Mm -hmm. had a miserable uh, experience in junior high. So did I. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our junior high school, they had something called an open-air class. Mm -hmm. It was in the corner of the building, in which all of the windows were kept wide open in the middle of February. Mm -hmm. The theory was that if you were underweight, Needed a lot of fresh air, Mm -hmm. and uh, they had a a right. And they had to recruit kids for the open air class. And they went to my mother and they told her that I was underweight Mm -hmm. and that I should be put in the open air class. Mm -hmm. And so, my mother, being an immigrant woman, Mm -hmm. didn't know what was going on, uh, agreed, and so I was put in this horrible open Mm -hmm. air class. I froze to death. It was filled with delinquents about 10 of us there the teacher was horrible and that was the time when i began to play hooky okay yes yes they i was They're so miserable cause an effect right exactly
1: you uh spoke gary of sending children i hear this all the time and it infuriates me into the public schools to be solved right now That is an evil idea. And you tell people when they say it, they are evil. Because our Lord says to his disciples, mature men, ye are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say it to children. Children are to be protected and nurtured, not to be sent out. We think Iran is very ugly and evil because it's sending boys of 9, 10, 11 into the uh, front lines with guns that are bigger than they are, to die. It's the same thing, only it's more brutal to send them into the public schools to have their lives blasted.
0: Well, this is That's a totalitarian practice. Yes. To experiment with children, and you mm-hmm. notice that they always trot out the very smallest children. Yes. They don't trot out the adolescents. They trot out the five and six and seven and eight-year-olds, and then suddenly you don't hear anything more about it until you see the perfectly conformed uh, university type.
1: They also say, some of these parents, and they infuriate me, so I've reached the point where I can't talk to them without getting very angry. They say, my child need, uh, can be a witness. Yes. Yeah, that's and right. one woman uh, never spoke to me again because I told her, what kind of witness do you have? I've never seen a witness come out of you that was anything that was
3: anything remotely godly. What they're saying is that they're going to send little lambs into the wolf pack to, right. to yeah. somehow convert the wolves.
1: Yes. And maintain their standard of living without having to pay for Christian schooling right. that's the key factor. you know,
0: you cannot you cannot really take these different levels of intelligence either and treat them as interchangeable integers some children grow up later than others mm-hmm. some mature quickly there are racial differences Uh, which are not simply matters of pigment. They're cultural differences. Uh, All of these things are extremely important, and to disrupt them into some sort of universal mold, a procrustean bed, which everyone is forced to fit, has destroyed probably more minds in this country than poverty or anything else.
2: Yes. Another thing that the public schools do is that they create a teenage rebellion, because they're teaching a different set of values through values clarification. They're telling the youngsters that they don't have to, uh, you know, conform to or obey their parents' values or traditions, that they can create their own. And this tends to create a, um, a conflict within the family, and you get the, this this thing called teenage rebellion in America, which is considered very normal. And it know. doesn't exist anywhere else. Well, it certainly doesn't exist in the homeschooling family, where the where the families are uh, are integrated. That is, the the children and the and the adults, the parents' lives are integrated. Whereas in the public school, the children are sent off to the school where they have their social life with their peers, they develop their friendships, their loyalties with their peers, and the the parents develop their own interests, you know, they play bridge or they go on a cruise and the kids are left to their devices and you get a separation and a parting of the ways whereas in a homeschooling you have an integrated family where everybody is uh, interested in one another, the children are part of their parents' lives, the parents are part of their children's lives, and that makes for a healthier
3: family. To clarify that a little further, uh, that's not to say that in a homeschooling family there may not be conflict. Oh, sure. I may use my my own family as an example. I'm here to tell you that we've had plenty of conflict. conflict. The difference is, though, (laughs) that we're not at cross-purposes the purpose of each individual member in the family is is in the same direction and it's not rebellion in that sense because our purpose is common yes Uh, even though we may you know have daily conflicts or or conflicts over uh, um, minor technical matters or or personalities our purpose in life uh, the goal to to glorify God and to um, reclaim this world um, For our king, Uh, all of our children share that value with us as parents. So conflicts are resolvable then because we have a common
0: purpose. Yes. Mm. There is, I recall some years ago, I told you about the conference, that youth conference I attended because I was doing a project for the uh, council, I think it was, on employment of youth, which had grown out of the child labor. Committee. And so for a while, I was on the fringes of the educational establishment. And I remember attending a fairly well uh, collection, pretty big collection of teachers, in which a number of them very proudly said, I am not interested in the bright, I am interested in the disadvantaged. And I thought a teacher that is not interested in the bright is uh, some sort of intellectual pervert. (laughs) Because the whole point in teaching is to discover and encourage the potential of the bright. What sort of a society can exist by taking care of its dullards at the expense of its brilliance?
1: There is another aspect to the whole subject of education, and it is this: in a home school, the parents are concerned with the whole life of the child, and with educating the child in terms of the faith, in terms of his aptitudes, in terms of a knowledge of uh, the weaknesses of the child, and you recognize yourself and your children and so you know what to watch out for, where to clobber them. It's humiliating, but (laughs) it is. Now, in a Christian school, because you as a Christian have certain goals, the school shares those goals with you and watches over the child in the same way. But you have that same uh, parental concern in a public school by people who have a totally alien faith a totally alien goal for your children so it leads to the warping of the child and it's a a fundamental disrespect for the child and for the family of the child and and it results in a very wooden thing that they're going to force on all the children to make them into uh, cookie cutter peoples I recall some few years ago when they learned something that uh, took them a while to learn. And it was this. Maybe you remember, Otto, uh, our generation, and maybe yours, Sam. When you went to school, you had to have a glass of milk every day Oh, yes. Yes, it was brought around and handed to every child and you had to drink it up. Uh, I always liked milk. It was no problem. I could drink mine and the next kid's if he didn't want it and I could get away with it. But there were some children who didn't like it. And it took some while for them to learn many years of sad experience that a very high percentage of black children and a substantial percentage of white children are, after the early two, three years of their life, allergic to milk. It makes them bilious and gassy and (laughs) miserable. And there were a lot of them I remember like that. I didn't know the reason for it, but they were all around me in school. Well, that was the state school. It was going to ram its pattern down the throat of all children without exception.
2: Uh, 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 Rush, let me uh, uh, relate a a humorous aspect of that uh, business of of, of certain black children being uh, allergic to milk. Jesse Jackson and his wife were invited by Michael Dukakis for a Fourth of July dinner. And the first course of the meal was clam chowder with milk. (laughs) And Jesse had to pass it up. Uh, He couldn't uh, eat the clam chowder because of the milk. He was allergic to milk. And so that there went the first course. The second course was salmon and peas, which is a traditional New England, you know, uh, 4th of July dinner. Well, of course, Jesse only eats fried fish. So that course went by the meal. <laughs> Finally, when they adjourned to when the, when it was all over, and uh, they adjourned to the the uh, the esplanade where the concert was being played, Jesse had a TV dinner brought. I don't know if it was a TV dinner, but a fast food dinner. Brought into him on a plastic plate. He was so hungry.
1: <laughs> no wonder. No wonder he's that's not fun. happy. Uh, no not wonder just. they didn't get on the ticket.
2: <laughs> but but uh, that's the kind of thing that you uh, that they they really don't uh, think about when they're no. uh, when they're dealing with uh, the Well, young when students.
0: I when I first went to school, I used to skip grades. Yes, uh, <clears throat> I skipped several grades. But I understand now they don't skip grades.
1: No, okay. yes. And they don't flunk. And they In don't Many, flunk. many schools across so the So
0: therefore area. the marks mean nothing.
1: No. The grades mean nothing. Yes.
0: And even if you have a 99 percentile, it doesn't mean that you're going to be admitted to any school you mm-hmm. apply to.
2: You know, another thing, Rush, is that the, sc- the public schools have actually become anti-Christian. Yes. They're not neutral, as you know. They, they pretend they to be neutral. Them. Yeah, they never have. But they are so anti-Christian that I'm sure you're aware of the, the case on this equal access, where the, the extracurricular clubs, Bible clubs, have been yeah. banned on yes. campus. And, of course, uh, Congress passed the equal access law in order to give the schools the ability to, uh, that is, the permission to permit Bible study clubs, well, the schools now show their true color by saying, well, we can't have a Bible study club because the Bible is not relevant to the curriculum. We can only have extra, we can only have extracurricular activities that are relevant to the curriculum. So, yes, you can have a chess club because it's relevant to logic and mathematics, but Bible study is not relevant to anything. Can you imagine the Bible not being relevant to what is going on in the school? The most important single book in all of... Not relevant to a barbarian. That's about it. I was
1: in a trial in the South in which that was the issue. Uh, Since the uh, children were being bused in uh, from miles and miles around, some got in about... 35, 40 minutes ahead because the same buses had to make several routes. And they made the uh, routes so that some got in much ahead of the others and they started uh, a Bible study group, met in a classroom, and
2: all hell broke loose. They were taken to court and lost. And, and lost. they lost. Yes. And, my heavens, the Bible is, you know... It's, it's of our civilization. Not only the fond of our civilization, go ahead. Yes, Ella.
1: there was an elderly black woman who was in the courtroom. A teacher had taught for years and years uh, in black segregated schools uh, and then retired about the time of integration. And she was in that courtroom listening, and after I testified and left, she followed me out. And she said, they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. They talk about Babylon, and we're going to put them to shame.
2: Absolutely. I was. What, what bothered me a great deal, uh, Rush, was that the Christian lawyers could not see the relevance of the Bible. To, they didn't argue that. What they argued was that, uh, well, the other courses weren't relevant, you know, that chess is not relevant, and therefore uh, it didn't have to be relevant. And they ceded the grounds of the argument. Exactly, right? and I don't know why Christian lawyers aren't uh, uh, better versed on these why are they things. they not more literate. Or more literate. Perhaps they didn't realize that the Bible is relevant to English literature, to archaeology, to ancient history, to Elizabethan English, uh, to uh, To mathematics.
0: To morality, I mean... uh, Ethics. If if we have no standard, why not kill the judge and the lawyers? and go on about our
3: business. Considering what you said earlier about uh, the public schools being uh, established specifically... Uh, to create an anti-religious um, atmosphere in this country, if that is, in fact, the purpose of the public schools underlying it all, um, should we have Bible reading and prayer in public schools?
2: Well, I think it's uh, t- uh, Christians have to simply abandon the public schools because, okay. as I said, they can never serve. Uh, the spiritual or educational needs of Christian children. So why bother to tamper with them? You're going to constantly spend money on, in court when that money could be used for homeschooling or creating Christian schools. You know, these cases are very expensive. Mm-hmm. And while the opposition, Norman Lear and his crowd, can get a million dollars of legal service free of charge, as they did in these these last cases in the in the creation case, the the, uh, Louisiana Keyword creation case, the the Tennessee textbook case, the um, Alabama uh, uh, humanism case. The liberals donate their time, but Christians have to pay through the nose to get legal uh, uh, help in these things. And what happens? We've lost every case now.
0: Even so, I feel uneasy about the idea of <clears throat> abandoning the field. There are poor people and people who both have to work, can't take care of they can't put up a homeschool thing. And there are people who have disabilities of their own and so yes. forth, so on. And there's an awful lot of millions of, of uh, lives involved. And sooner or later, we're going to develop cases that we're going to win.
2: Well, uh, I, I, I look at it this way. The uh, I attended a homeschooling conference where a black mother got up and said that she works, she'd love to homeschool, but she can't. Mm-hmm. And so I suggested, well, perhaps there are other homeschooling families that could help this lady, you see. That
1: has been done, I know. And
2: as soon as the meeting was over, she... Uh, 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 a bunch of women converged mm. on this mother willing to help so there are ways of taking care of these things I'm not saying abandon the children in those schools uh, to simply the Satanists who now run the, the the establishment I'm simply saying though and I have nothing against a Christian teacher who wants to remain in a public school as a missionary uh, but that Christian teacher should do with his or her eyes open and know what the risks are. But that's all right, you know. The, there are Christian teachers in the public schools who are trying to do something. But I'm saying, though, that that the parents' first responsibility to their own children to make sure that they get a decent education.
1: Well, our time is almost over, so I hate to cut it short, but I'm going to have to. I'd like to add just this word. One of the problems with a Christian lawyer is is that they're so harried and rushed going from case to case that it's very difficult sometimes to stand back and look at the thing objectively and see the whole thing. They're uh, so hard-pressed and they simply fight it on this issue and that issue and uh, are short of funds. They can make more money in other kinds of laws. And we do need to develop uh, more resources here so that our lawyers are better able to fight these issues. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Sam. It's been a delight.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount
1: Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.